welcome to a novel evening, the podcast where I chat with authors, book bloggers, uh, general bookworms, all about their perfect fictional fantasy night. Um, that could be a very intimate dinner party with just a few of their favourite characters, um, or it could be a grand soiree with some of their all-time favourite authors, uh, dead or alive. I'm Danny. You can find me over on Instagram as Blotted Ink Books. And for this episode, I'm joined by Megan Bannon, whose novel The Undertaking of Heart and Mercy is like all over Bookstagram. Firstly, it has one of the most colourful, glorious, fun covers you'll ever see. Um, if you're a fan of a romance that kind of is a little bit on the darker side, if you like a good enemies to lovers trope, um, if you like a secret pen pal uh, trope, this, this is the one for you. Um, and my favourite thing, I've got a real thing about the macabre um, <laughs> and about death in general. So that absolutely ticks that box for me. Um, and I'm very excited to chat with her all about her inspiration, uh, what comes next for her, and of course, find out about her novel evening. So a massive hello to Megan. Hello. Hello. It's, you are so like bright and sunny and joyful. Like, <laughs> well, it's two o'clock in the afternoon in Kansas City. So maybe the lighting is really good right now. Yeah. See, we've got like, <laughs> we've got the beginnings of darkness. It's almost nighttime here uh, in not so lovely Devon in England. <laughs> <laughs> all of a sudden, autumn like hit here. And now it's dark by like 7.30. It was so nice. Yeah. Yes, it's the same here. And it's just so... I feel like autumn crazy. comes and it's just here overnight. You're like, oh, it's the start of September. And then so you're like, oh, and now it's dark. <laughs> <laughs> and, and now your day is a lot shorter. Yes. Yeah. Do you find... A couple of the authors that I've spoken to have come on say that they kind of will write better in, say, autumn because they can kind of get snuggly and cozy and get writing. Some say they're more productive in the summer when they can get outside and write. Do you notice a difference in kind of your writing depending on the seasons? You know, I don't. I think um, I have two kids and I think uh, I am most productive when I am trapped somewhere because of them. So like one of them was on swim team for a while. So I would take him to practice and sit in the bleachers while he swam and just sit there and write my books. Or I had to take another kid to cross-country practice at Odark 100 every summer this morning so I would just sit in my car for an hour and a half and I got more done in the hour and a half than I was going to get accomplished for the rest of the day so I think for me it is whatever elbows of time I can carve out <laughs> you use them <laughs> like if you've got some time use them. using yes. it well I have to say the undertaking of uh, heart and mercy was it's just so much fun and suddenly the thought of you writing this in those little pockets of swim meets and, you know, is, <laughs> is so well, that much fun. Was, that's a little different. And thank you, by the way. Thank you. And that book was uh, an unusual writing experience because I wrote it in like spring and summer of 2020. Oh, wow. So, and so the height of uh, lockdown and pandemic. Yes. And, yeah. yes. and um, so I having to write that book with my family on top of me was a totally different because we're all locked down like I couldn't take anyone to swimming practice and 
I can, we weren't going anywhere. So it was kind of like figuring out where in the house I could hide from people. <laughs> yeah. Now you know you can do it. I guess it's an interesting learning experience for you. She's like, oh, actually, I can write when I have to and there's people around. Yes. I mean, it's it's so much fun. And I have to ask, you know, where did this idea, firstly, the world is, so I'm a big fan of the macabre. I actually really wanted to be a coroner when I was younger. Um, sadly, I was not smart enough to do that. <laughs> Um, and actually, I now I'm like, mm, maybe I wouldn't have been so good. But I have a real interest in people who are undertakers or, you know, work in funeral homes. So this is such a cool premise. Where did this come from? Uh, this is kind of a, an odd or a difficult question to answer. Like this was not a book where the idea came fully formed. It was like a slow evolution. And I would have to say it began with a photograph that I came across on Pinterest years ago. And I never found the source of the photograph. I think it's a Steve McCurry picture, but don't quote me on that. And it's a picture of a dog, uh, a boxer, mm -hmm. sitting on this chair in front of a storefront. And behind the dog is this big sign. It's like an advertisement. And it says, we can send dead body anywhere, anytime, anyhow. And there's exclamation points. And it's a very jaunty sign advertising this particular service. And obviously that is a service that exists in reality. Like people have to send remains all over the place. People yeah. die far from home or like they want to be buried back wherever they grew up. I mean, I've used this service. Um, so like, it's, it's obviously something that exists. I think what got me was the need to advertise it in a very jaunty, <laughs> happy way. Wow. And it just like, and it was just a photograph that struck me when I saw it. And I keep a file of anything I come across that feels like it has a story in it somewhere. Yeah. Pictures, um, news stories, just any odds and ends where I feel like that could be a story someday. And so I, I'd had that in my file for years and when it came time to you know write the next book I went through my files and I kept coming back to that picture and I I just I just kept asking myself in what world would you need to advertise the fact that you can send human remains anywhere anytime anyhow in a very jaunty way and and obviously our world because that sign exists in reality but what kind of fantasy world would that be? Where, in what circumstance would people be passing away far away from home and need to be sent back to their loved ones? And it just, <laughs> it kind of evolved from there. I like, love maybe there's, maybe there's a zombie issue. Maybe there's like an undead thing. And I don't like zombies. I am not, I don't like zombie stories, movies. Yeah. I just don't. Um, but for some reason, I'm like, well, but that makes the most sense, obviously, zombies. <laughs> yeah, I liked the fact that in the novel, the zombies aren't explicitly, you know, to begin with, I kind of found myself thinking, oh, are they zombies? Like, what is this? Like, it wasn't your immediate, you know, shuffling, moaning, chomping thing. And I liked that it was like a twist, like a take on the classic zombie, you know, being consumed by whatever it is, virus or whatever it is that, you know, in this case, you know, you've got the drudges, but yeah, it was a really fresh take. And obviously you're merging together 
a lot of really cool genres in one book that must have been quite the you know we were a bit daunted by the task that you'd set yourself um daunted but it was also fun like i i i really wanted to write a rom-com um but i i up till this point have pretty much just written fantasy yeah and i i just wanted to merge those two there's a lot of romantic fantasy out there yeah and there are some really wonderful, like, I feel like the market is just bursting with kind of contemporary witchy rom-coms and just, but as far as like a high fantasy world with a rom-com in it, not just romance, but rom-com, which is its own special thing. Yes. There's not a, there's not a ton out there. There's not. No, I'm, I'm racking my brains and I'm like, what can I think of? I mean, yeah, it's very, very princess bride kind of stuff, I guess, but I, I don't know. I, I'd been reading a lot of rom-coms and boy, that really ticked up during the pandemic. Like that's all I could read. Um, and I'm like, but I want to write, a, I want to, I, I want to put a rom-com in a fantasy world. I want to do that. So how am I going to do that? Because rom-coms are very formulaic. Like there's your, your very essential beats to rom-com. Yes. And then fantasy is also kind of formulaic, but in a different way. And it's like really epic and sweeping and the focus is on world and, yeah. and plot. Whereas there's usually a bad and, guy or there's usually uh, something along those lines, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, there's like a bad guy and there's like, you know, you're dealing with like kind of huge issues of morality and, um, you know, like the big stuff, kings and queens and power and, all of that, whereas a rom-com is really like um, hyper-focused on two people falling in love and it's yeah. very intimate. And so I don't know, to me, that was the fun of like, how do you, how do you take this very intimate character-driven story arc and stick it in what is typically like a big sweeping fantasy world? Yeah, you, you know, as you read it, it is firstly, it's, it is very funny. There's some real, you know, comedy beats in there. And like you say, with fantasy, especially romantic fantasy, you might have like a little moment of humor between two characters, or you might have like a, a little levity, but to have proper comedy in there. But also it deals with some dark subject matter. You know, like you say, morality and, you know, profiting on death and, you know the the whole conundrum of what comes after death how should we be treating bodies that's in there as well which is a huge you know i think it's really interesting because death is so sanitized now for all of us yes yes it's and you I don't think... see it it's all behind curtains you know once upon a time you know your family would come in and wash your body when you passed they would dress you they would leave you in your home for you know up to a week sometimes even longer some yes. still share a bed, you know, a bed and a bedroom with their past ones. And now it's all like behind curtains and, you know, we don't see it and you whisk them away and you don't, you know, open caskets are not, especially in the UK, are not very common at all. At all. So right. I find this really interesting to just read about the death part of it. Yeah. And I, right around the time I had was starting to kind of noodle with the idea. Um, I, I read an article and, and now I can't find it. I want to say it was in the New York Times, like a, an op-ed. And it was a doctor who was talking about how her colleagues refer to her as the angel of death at her hospital, because she's the one everyone kind of makes go into the room of the patient who is, whose treatment is done. 
where there's no more options, that person is going to, of to, is going to die of whatever ailment they have. And, you know, and it's her job to like go in and talk to them about the end of their life and, yeah. and what they need to think about now. And, um, it, it, I, I want to say it was either that or another article where the person used the word transactional, that death is transactional now, where it's something that happens, like, like you said, kind of behind the curtain, death happens at the hospital. And then the funeral happens at the funeral home. And we don't interact with the the dead body at yes. all. Um, and it's just, it's just this weird, it feels like we don't face, because of that, we don't face our own mortality. It's not looking us in the eye the way that I think previous generations had to. Oh my God, you look even like, you know, wartime and backwards. Death was just part of the everyday. You know, you knew someone who died or the odds were that someone in your family would pass and you would be present. You would live with it. You know, obviously mortality rates were very high and, you know, the death ages were, were very low. So the odds were, you know, you would have it in your life. We're very lucky now that, you know, with medical treatment, with, you know, sort of death rates, you know, the age that people are living to is higher. We don't see as much of it. But what I loved about Mercy is death is not transactional. It's not something that she's just doing as a business without giving anything away. There are characters in the book for whom it is very much a business. And I loved that. She reminded me, there's an author called, I'm going to butcher her name, Caitlin Doherty. Yes. yes. And she goes, Caitlin in your eyes. She reminds yes. me so much of her because again, you know, she was a very young female woman working in a crematorium and a job that was mostly just kind of like old men, you know, or, you know, working in funeral homes. And she's all about like death culture and for her, that moment of spending that time with that body was something that she was doing for them. It wasn't just for the money and like, you know, let's get this done. And Mercy yeah. reminded me so much of her. That's who I think of when I read it. I love Caitlin Doty's books. Um, she's also, what's the one? There's like an, another one where she talks about how different cultures handle death all over yes. the world. And I, That's so I, I learned about read. the bodies that are in the beds where, you know, children were describing how they will sleep next to their grandparents for up to like three months, which to like a white Westerner, you're like, oh God. But to them, they're like, yeah, it was completely not, you know, you dress them every morning, you put them to bed at night and that's what you do. And there's like this, but there's a spiritual element to it. And I, and I remember thinking of that um, when she was talking about like cannibals, you know, we think of, oh, cannibals, people who eat people. It's so horrible and awful. But like, when you actually look at those, those cultures that do that and what it means spiritually in terms of, of what you do with the dead, it was, I mean, it was just really. I think that's what we've lost. We've lost the spirituality in death. We've lost the connection to what that means, you know, for sure. And I think as a character, Mercy is completely connected with what that means. It's, you know, it's not just a job for her. It's, you know, a livelihood. And I think that's why she contrasts so well with Hart, for whom, you know, death is very much his job. He doesn't really have time to think about those bodies. He's like, right, we need to get this delivered. We need to get this, you know. But there's also that, he's got that great moment with his apprentice, Duckers. Um, and I think Duckers is just about the best thing that happens to him, where he has to train <laughs> somebody else. Character. <laughs> oh God, he was fun to write. 
But there's a moment where Duckers has to take out his first undead. And he's and it's very upsetting. And Hart remembers what it was like when he first joined the Marshals and he had to do that. And Duckers is crying and Hart admits, like, I bawled my eyes out when I did this the first time. And and like Duckers says something like, Did I get her? Did I get her? And he's like, That's not a her. She's gone. You know, and he says, What you just did was a mercy. And he's, I mean, and by having to like train duckers, he's, he's reminded of that, that, yeah. you know, that what they, what they do as marshals is it's a, it, it is a service. It is a mercy. It's a good thing that they're doing for people. Yeah. yeah. It's such an interesting conundrum, isn't it? I mean, you know, I'm, I am a big fan of zombie films. I'm a big fan of like The Walking <laughs> Dead. And I really love that idea of thinking, you know, if it's someone you know and that happens, is it still them or is it not anymore? It's it's such right. an interesting debate. Yeah, I, I mean, and it is. And I think in this book, it's definitely, it's not them. They're gone. That person yeah. is gone. Yeah, they're just a shell. They're just, a, you know. Right. Yeah. Right. Something else has taken over their appendix. <laughs> <laughs> I love the appendix because I had my appendix out a couple of years ago and I was like, well, I'm good. I <laughs> know <laughs> you could be a Tannerian Marshall. Yeah, I'm and absolutely not be reanimated. And right. I obviously had a very clear picture in my head of, of Mercy because I was picturing, you know, Caitlin in my head. But I want to know who your dream casting for Heart would be. You know, I am bad about casting. Like I get asked this question a lot, and it's I don't know. I don't know. I I'm really I'm bad because um I don't I don't watch nearly enough. In yeah the entertainment industry at all <laughs> and and when I do I don't know like anybody's names I don't know like anybody's names you're like that so guy like, oh, he was in that thing like that tall guy from like he was in one of those Tolkien movies and I don't know so it's like I, if you say it's the guy who played Aragorn I I'm on board with that I can see I, I was thinking like, Lee Pace maybe Lee Pace is very tall oh, Lee it's a very tall actor but I don't, but I don't, I don't know. Cause like, honestly, like I describe the characters, but I, when I'm writing, I'm not, I, I don't visualize the characters very much. Um, yeah. um, like, unless it's the other characters looking at them, I tend to really inhabit, I tend to inhabit the characters from within as I'm writing. If the that mind, makes the sense. mind more than the physicality of them, I guess. Yeah, or the the the, the emotions probably yeah. more than the mind. And like I have uh, one of my best friends who's my critique partner, she like really sees her books as a movie. Like she's seeing it in her brain and she's trying to kind of transcribe what she's seeing. And for me, I tend to kind of instinctively feel my way through the story. Yeah. And so, and for that reason, like I have vague descriptions of what people look like but I kind of like give you some hints and then you can just fill in the rest yeah you know? I seem very like your friend if I'm writing I very much and I tend to like mood boards of like the, the actors that I'm like when this becomes a film exactly <laughs> and then see and you'll be so much more um better equipped to answer the fan casting question than me I was like, I'm getting to the point now, if it ever I happens like maybe I should just like have like just a general fan cast of any movie app. It's like, here are the actors I would like to see just all together in one place. Just in like, maybe that's what I should yeah. start doing. I don't care who they play. I don't I care who they play. They could like a, a Liam Hemsworth, but maybe slightly more grizzled. That was kind of what, <laughs> maybe that's more of what I wanted. <laughs> okay, I could, that I could see. I could see that. I'd be mad about that as casting goes. Yes. And you obviously have written adult and YA 
novels. Yes. Does your approach differ in how you're writing those generally or not so much? Yeah, I think, so first of all, I think the story tends to dictate the audience. Mm -hmm. And I knew pretty early on that, I knew early on that Heart and Mercy was going to be a, an adult book. Like, and what I wanted to do with it was very thematically adult. Um, I think part of that was, I mean, I'm, I'm getting on in years. And as I'm reading all of these rom-coms, a lot of times the main characters are like in their twenties and like, I, I'm borderline old enough to be their mom at this point. And it's, I mean, it feels, it starts to feel kind of weird. It's like, oh man, that's, and I wanted to write maybe slightly older characters. And I wanted to write because I was writing a book about death and grief and loss. I really wanted to write characters who'd maybe had enough life experience to really rack up some losses. And so for that reason, I really approached, I, I approached the story from the beginning as an adult book. Um, yeah, but it, and it is a very different, what you can, what you can do with an adult book um, is a lot more expansive than what you can do in a young adult book. constrained when you're writing, mm -hmm. a, you know, an adult, anything I guess goes. I mean, anything goes. I mean, there's there's some pretty there's probably some young adult books that are spicier than the undertaking of our mercy at this point. But um there are some that there. I pick up and I'm like, how did this end up on this shelf? It's, it's, it's fine. And like, you know what? I'm that's a market thing, and I I just I just write the books. Um and God knows, like my my young adult books are in terms of language a little salty. Like I I'm a personally a sailor, and so my characters tend to be a little foul mouth even in young adult um, I, I can relate <laughs> yeah but I think um the major difference too is like when you're I I one of the reasons why I like writing young adult is first of all I spent most of my professional career outside of writing working with teens right. and I, I mean I was a youth services librarian forever mostly a teen librarian I taught teenagers when I was still a teacher so like that's, I'm kind of used to that crowd. And I, I like, I like hanging out with teenagers and I, I like writing for them because it's, it's a time in your life where you're first starting to realize who you are in the context of the greater world. And you're trying to figure out where do I belong? Who am I? What am I, what's my purpose? What am I supposed to be doing? And I always tell like audiences, like that's, that's where that journey begins. And if you're doing life right, you keep asking those questions for the rest of your life but i think it's fun to write young adult because that's where that that's where that journey starts yeah and and it's i think a lot more intense when you're a young adult because like you're examining that with um far more intensity and far less restraint than you do later in life like i'm still answering those questions but at the back of my mind i'm also like crap i need to wash so-and-so's laundry and pick up groceries <laughs> like there's only so much bandwidth whereas you've got more bandwidth to really go but who am i when you're 16 17 years old um and so that's that's really fun to have that kind of intense sort of focus when you're writing young adult but it was really fun writing heart and mercy and getting to write people that had a lot more of that gritty life experience to draw from. And then also to just, you know, go all out with the F-bombs and write some sexy time scenes. Yeah, although that was very challenging you wrote, you've me. got some sauce in there, so. I a little, a little. I, <laughs> I'm 
told this story a few times, but I'm friends with Sierra Simone, who writes yeah. ver vera sexy. Yes, yes, yes. And, um, and I'm like, I'm trying to write my first ever sexy scene. And I'm like, I can't, I'm just like, I can't use this word. Oh no, I can't possibly use that word. And finally I just pick up the phone and I text her. I'm like, I have 200 words into a sex scene. And I've had to use the thesaurus like 20 times already. How do you do this? I've got this? images now of you with like really long medically correct term. No, it was just like, it was very vague. And it's, and if you read it, it is, it is still kind of, doesn't go super explicit. And there's also a lot of awkward yeah. jokes throughout the whole scene. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's explicit, but it's steamy. Like if you were giving like a chili rating, I'm gonna say it's like a three and a half chilies. Really? Okay, yeah. good. To, okay, good. That's good. You know, I'm trying to think what would be a five, but I'm like, that's probably full blown like erotica, right? That's you know, right. anything goes. But yeah, it's 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 spicy. Yeah. yeah. And also the question in terms of what comes next for you. Do you see yourself kind of continuing in the theme of adult novels? Do you find yourself maybe going back to sort of the YA? What's kind of next for you? I think, again, uh, the book and like the tone and the voice of the book tends to dictate the market of the book. Yes. And so I'm kind of, to be honest, I'm messing around with three different ideas. Wow. Or I'm, I mean, actually, not even messing around. I'm actively writing three different books right now. <laughs> well, it's... <laughs> Variety is the spice of life, right? So <laughs> no, they're, they're all in different stages, you know. So like you kind of finish one thing and you pass it off for feedback, and then you yeah, while you're waiting on that, you pull out the next thing. So you know, it's 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 not as complicated as it sounds, I guess, but like they're they're three very, very different books. And I don't know if any of them will see the light of day, but one is an adult book. One is actually kind of on the cusp of adult or young adult, and I'm still kind of trying to figure out which yeah. direction I'm going. And then one is actually middle grade. So must be interesting. Okay. So on, on that basis, uh, I now have no clues what your novel evening is going to bring. Cause I feel like <laughs> you could choose authors or characters from a kind of across the board. So I guess the first thing would be, where are we going to go for your novel evening? Where are we going to go? So I, I thought about this long and hard and um, I thought of, you know how in your life, there's like a handful of memories that are just absolutely perfect. Like when you just, you had like an evening that was just perfect. It was fun and warm and excellent. And, and you just have like a handful of those jewels in your life of just the perfect moment. And for me, one of those was when I was 22. Oh my God, literally more than half a lifetime ago. <laughs> And I can't remember where it was. We were, I, I went to France with a group from the University of Kansas for like this summer education trip. And we like toured for two weeks and then we studied in Paris for like a month. I know. I'm like, wow, the life I lived back in the day. Also, you're like, <laughs> I wish, like now I look back on those opportunities and I'm like, damn, I would appreciate those so much more now. Like back then I was like, I was like, it was fun. It was great. And I'm like, oh, the amount of architecture I missed. And <laughs> well and I I born and made a nerd so I got into that like I was nice I enjoyed educational vacation and even at age 22 I was like enjoying the architecture really nerdy but we were 
we were in Britannia and I want to say the name of the town was Moulin-sur-Mer, but don't quote me on that because it's been over 20 years since I was there. Um, but it was just like, I, I think it was at the hotel we were staying at and they fed us that night and they just kept bringing out food. And like, it, you know, we were, we had been in France long enough to know, like you get this course and this course and this course and this course and you know how to pace yourself, but it didn't happen that way. And so like they kept bringing out food and we thought we were, you're like, okay, there, I just, I need to leave enough room for dessert. But then they bring out like the main course. You're like, wait, that wasn't the main course. We just like, there were some people who were like crying. They were so full, <laughs> but it was so good. But you can't stop. stop eating. You're like, but <laughs> I want to try this one. And we all got a little drunk. And we're all just, I just remember we were telling stories and just like, they were so funny. We were laughing. And so it's just a wonderful evening. And I'm like, that's where I want to go. I want like that environment where we're, just stuffing our faces with amazing food and drinking wine in this like seaside village in France. Yeah, that's where we're at. This is our evening. I can't fault that whatsoever. Um, I think <laughs> those are the best. Those are the best nights, aren't they? When you're just cry laughing, you don't even know what you're all laughing about by the end of it. Yes, and in a beautiful setting. Okay. Okay, so how many guests have you got coming? Is this kind of like a, a bigger dinner? Is it kind of intimate? Um, so I should warn you that I like everybody. <laughs> and my, my critique partners were recently accusing me. I was complaining that my social schedule is getting really full and I'm having a hard time mm -hmm. like cramming everything in that I need to do. And like, you like it, you have to stop liking everyone. And they said the only people you don't like are like serial killers and people who kick puppies. That's your problem. So yeah. anyway, it's it's probably a larger a larger gathering. <laughs> okay, we have been okay. we have been warned. Okay, who's the okay. first guest that you're bringing? The, the first guest I am bringing, um, well, like so, I'm a librarian, and I got I'm like very organized, and I have it broken down by characters and authors. Perfect. Um, like, but I think I know. I think my first guest is Eugenides from the Queen's Thief series by Megan Whalen Turner. Oh, I because do not know these books. <gasps> oh my God. These are, this, these are, it's a young adult series. Okay. And um, like, I want to say the very first book came out in like 1996, like, or 1995, wow. like somewhere in the mid nineties. Oh, and how old I was. This... <laughs> no, please don't, because that was when I got like my first college degree, because that's how old I am. Um, and, but they're so good. And, and like, um, anywhere from like five to seven years would pass between books wow. so like there I mean Megan Whalen Turner didn't mess around these books are just wonderfully written and Eugenides is such a great character and um I just remember reading that first book and it's it's the only book I can remember where I just sat there for a minute and then I just turned around and opened up to page one again I'm like I have to read this again and it was even better the second time Oh it's even better it's the most brilliantly plotted book i have ever read and that's the first book in the series but they're all wonderful and just and that character is he's the through line and just so delightful and i guess his wife should get invited so she could be his plus one Irene. she did cut off his hand in book two I haven't quite got over that, but no, that might make spoiler. an interesting conversation around the yes. table. Yes. <laughs> okay. You've already yeah. got a plus one added to your list. I can see <laughs> where this is going. <laughs> okay. So they, they're okay. going to join us. 
they're gathering around the table who's who's next so um next i would like all three women from spinning silver by naomi novik okay so that that's I'm familiar with okay so I'm, I'm trying to remember their names i think it's Miriam, irina and wanda i think i should have looked this up before i sat down to invite them but i want i want all three of them okay. um because i just love i love what naomi novik does with uh, kind of the idea of female strength and um so often i feel like you know like strong women are depicted as just women who do things we stereotypically code as male in yes. books like killing people or whatever and whereas i feel like uh naomi novik gets into like female power in a way that is really distinctly female mm. and also awesome and i think like what she does in spinning silver with those characters is just okay. chef's kiss i mean I, I i agree with you as well so often yeah like you say the idea of like female strength is only as you say when they're in a, a typically male role right and actually yeah there's a lot of strength in i think that's why i like a lot of the kind of greek mythology retellings as well which is actually women really doing what women did best there which was you know talking <laughs> <laughs> Figuring things out between them without violence. Working together. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Okay. And these sound like three women who would be interesting to talk to as well. Mm -hmm. So I can see no, no faults here. Okay. So we're on to five guests. So this is turning rapidly into more of a party environment. Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. And I've got like three more characters. Hey, look, I, love, I love a party. And if there's French wine flowing... We're gonna have a good time. It's we'll gonna be fun. The doors open to the town. Throw the doors open. Because we've got Ed. We've got Ed Kennedy from um, "I Am the Messenger" coming by Marcus Zusak. Ooh, okay. Tell me about. Tell me about Ed. Well, you know, like everybody loves the book thief. You mm -hmm. know, and mm -hmm. I love that book. I love that book, and that's actually the first book I read by that author. But um, I am a big fan of "I Am the Messenger," which was the book that came out before the book thief, and Ooh. for me. Ed Kennedy is just this remarkable every man, every man. And it's kind of, um, it's very slightly speculative where this kind of random guy ends up in a situation where he has to like start saving people. Oh, okay. And, and helping people. And, um, and like, a, there's just this really cool thing that Zuzak does at the end of the book where I'm like, God, so smart and i i love kind of the um the emotional arc of his writing anyway like um and to me ed kennedy and and frequently all of that author's characters i like i i i really kind of i i i feel the way they feel you know like i i i feel some kind of synchronicity there where it's like yeah that's how that's how it feels to me to kind of work my way through the world yeah and and the kind of notion that like if ed kennedy can do these kind of extraordinary things we can all be ed kennedy so i really i really love that book oh so he sounds like an inspirational kennedy. guest who's coming in he's got some he, but right? he's kind of like but like it's also not because he's all of us you know what i mean like you would never go that guy's amazing <laughs> And yet he's amazing because really but he finds awesome. himself in these situations rather than yeah. picking them out or but great stories. It's just so 
I, I just love that book. That's a great one. I might do it. And it's a good audio book too, by the way, if you're an audio book huh. reader. That one was particularly good on audio book. And I also want Joe from Stacy Lee's The Downstairs Girl, because let me tell you, Stacy Lee, Stacy Lee has just mastered the art of character voice. Like nobody writes with voice the way that Stacy does. And um, I just, I love her writing. And I just like you, I, she just embraces her characters. So when you were hearing this story from Joe's point of view, like I, I would take a bullet for Joe. I would take a bullet for Joe, like from page one. She's so charming and smart. And, um, and it's, that's just a wonderful book. And Stacey also does great historical research, but Joe is so charming and you care so much about her. Um, so I've got to have Joe from The Downstairs Girl. You really do like everybody. I'm... <laughs> I do, I do. But that's the, that's the beauty of someone who can write a character you fall in love with. I mean, that's what I'm saying. And Stacey, I feel like nobody does that better than Stacey Lee. Amazing. Oh my God. I, did I just turn into the Sarah Lee commercial? But I inserted Stacey Lee. Never mind. That's Maybe that's an American thing. I think it might be an American thing. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. I can't wait to do it. <laughs> You're like, wait a minute. Okay. Okay, so that, have you got one more? Is this one more fictional guest? One more fictional guest. Oh my God. My last fictional guest is Balancey Sterling from The Blue Castle by Lucy Maud Montgomery. And Ellen Montgomery is better known for Anne of Green Gables. Like yes, yes, of Anna course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But The Blue Castle is like the OG rom-com. Oh. And it's one of the only books she wrote for adults. And I love this book from the depths of my soul. It's one of the, it's one of the only books I reread on a regular basis. It's magnificent. It's oh. wonderful. Um, it's in balancey is just like, you just, you feel like your heart hurts for her at the beginning of the story and like where she begins versus where she ends is such a great character arc. You know, she just wants to be loved. Oh, I love it. So if you want to read like a good old school Rob Cobb, I mean, I think it's from the 1920s. Oh, wow. The Blue, okay. Yeah. The Blue Castle. Hmm. Okay. Okay. I've, I've not heard, obviously I've heard of Anna Green Gables. I'm not familiar right. with that book, but it, I'm going to check it out because I'm intrigued. You're welcome. Yes. I'm intrigued by a, like you say, a real old school rom-com as well. I want to see how it differs, but that's intriguing. And it sounds like she, you know, she could be fun at a party as well. Oh, I think so. Yes, absolutely. Okay. She learns to live a little in the book. But that's what we need. I'm, I'm yeah. sure that within this group and this setting, she'll only expand on that further. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's your characters. Did you say you've also got authors that you're inviting? I've got authors. And I promise, okay, I'll go through this list more quickly. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I don't just, be sorry. Look, if you get one chance for a fictional fantasy dinner party, you're not going to, you know, why would you waste it on two people? like let's have everybody and I decided to focus on people that I've kind of like vaguely gotten to know but have never really got to meet and would love to hang out with okay you know? so like for example um award-winning author Elizabeth Acevedo who wrote the poet x and with the fire on high and just writes so well and she's so cool and I have to invite her because I was supposed to do an event with her here in Kansas City 
like in January of 2020. Oh no. At a, at a public library. And this is right before the pandemic hit. Yeah. And there was an ice storm and the event got canceled. Oh no. And I am still, two and a half years later, I am still devastated. <laughs> so I'm like, first on the list. Yes. Yes. Oh. <laughs> and nothing could be worse than that. Okay. That's a very valid reason to invite so her. I was so excited about it. And then I haven't. Another person on my list is Tanaz Patena, who is another young adult author who wrote um, A Girl Like That. She's had, actually Tanaz has a ton of books and she's got a fantasy series out now that starts with Hunted by the Sky and we've become like actually really good friends and we try to talk to each other on the phone like once a month but I've never actually got to hang out with her in person so if I'm having a dinner party Tanaz is coming and I feel this because like you know I make friends on bookstagram I'm very lucky that I've met some of them in in real life now um several times but yeah there's some that you don't get to meet and yeah you yeah, and you, it's like you have this and then another person or well i've got two more people in that vein one is makia lucier who writes just magnificent fantasy and historical fiction um oh my listen if you have not read a makia lucier book treat yourself okay. she's such a good writer such a good writer um her most recent book is year of the reaper which i know did really well she's also got um Isle of Blood and Stone and Song of the Abyss. And just her writing is so lyrical without ever being purple. She's so good at just putting you in the story and then like, but taking kind of her, her, her the author self out of the way. So you're just immersed in it. Her characters are fantastic. So I just want to, and she's also just delightful. So I want to hang out with Makia. Okay. And I also need to hang out with May Rusticio, who is a middle grade author. And like May and I both have like kids about the same age and we're like really big on the mom jokes. And we both do a lot of parking lot writing while we're waiting for our kids to do things. And she's just hysterically funny and I wanna hang out with her. So those are kind of like some author people I wanna hang out with. I would love to hang out with Freya Mars who wrote A Marvelous very Light. Cool. She's very and cool. A, yes, I want doing it. Oh, wait, never mind. I can't talk about. Don't talk about it. Whatever it is. Nope. You'll, you'll find out that piece of it it's ready to be found out. But I did record with Freya. She's very cool. Very cool. Very, very thoughtful. And, and also just such a good writer. Like I loved A Marvelous Life. And then I recently got an advanced copy of A Reckless Truth. And I loved Oh, reckless truth. She really shares, you know, romance, fantasy, and historical fiction, like a blend. Yes. Go. I, I, yes. And her characters, her characters. I love them. I would go to the mat for them. Any of them. I love them. And just the craft of the words on the page. Yeah. I mean, Freya is a true wordsmith. And um, so I want to hang out with Freya. I feel and, like the the author portion of your novel evening could happen in real life. I mean, let's say the characters, but I think that's something that could be facilitated in real life. I'm just saying. I was, I mean, like that would be fun. It would be fun. That's, to get that's all what it's going to take is for you to plan a trip to France with these people, and then you can all <laughs> hang out. 
and I'm sure none of them will be creeped out by me at all. <laughs> you know what honestly having having met internet friends in real life and actually because i invited some of them to my home for the first time um i can safely say that it's the best internet friends are the best friends i've ever met um so i would highly i would highly recommend booking a trip to france i mean like, let's do this or you know you could go somewhere more local in in the us to begin with but i yeah we did a we did a london trip actually and just loads of us got together from from bookstagram and all hung out in london together and went out for lunch and it was so cool nice it was lovely i yeah. live so far from everyone <laughs> like i'm i'm like literally at the continental or at the center of the continental united states and i'm just hundreds or thousands of miles away from Absolutely. Oh, I, I feel that on a slightly smaller. So I live in a part of Devon that's quite, it's quite rural. I live right on the coast, sort of where Cornwall begins. I'm like here. And all my friends okay. are like London and they're like, they are miles away. So on a, on a shrunken scale, I feel what you're saying. Yes. yes. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm very lucky. I'm very lucky that there's actually a wonderful writing community in wow. Kansas City. Like some really just amazing authors here that I, I get to hang out with. But you know, Prey is on the other side of the planet. So I don't. Yes, yes, that is that is the problem as well. But I think since the pandemic, the beautiful thing is the world has, you know, I'm chatting to you in Kansas and here, the world has become a smaller place. Yeah, I've, I, and like, I, I've now been able to talk to people like in other parts of the world, you know, and, and, and see my book travel to places I've never been so it's very exciting oh, like this this podcast if it wasn't for you know what what was zoom before the pandemic happened who would even <laughs> like zoom or teams like I can do this podcast and chat with people like you you know ordinarily especially like around my children and traveling around wouldn't be feasible so you know but there is something to say about being with someone in person and I'm sure yeah. at some point you will get these in-person meetups with these authors but it's so lush to hear you like fangirling about your pals that's what it's all about <laughs> that's you know women supporting women in writing is important it's true i do have one man on the list okay the one the one the token man that's that's cool. the token man i guess there were men in the character list. um i i desperately want to hang out with alexis hall oh. um like alexis hall single-handedly has gotten me through the most trying times of 2022 I love Alexis Hall's books so much, so much. And like, I had a 2022 has been like personally rough and like everybody's fine. Like, you know, everyone's in good health, like nothing truly horrible has happened, but also just like all sorts of horrible things have happened. And um, through all of that, I've been reading like Alexis Hall's books and they've gotten me through. So thank you, Alexis Hall. I owe you a beer wherever you are. <laughs> <laughs> in France at that moment in time I love that sentiment though as well because I I feel you my 22 has been I, I would I would say peaks and troughs predominantly troughs um <laughs> so I feel you I mean my friend Joe that we had like we had black June and we were like July will be better and then July was like charcoal July yeah. And then like August was like eh, dark gray August. So we're like, it's gonna get better. I feel like it's it is literally 50 shades of gray. This <laughs> is yeah. yes, this whole year, thematically speaking, is literally 50 shades of gray. If one of our plants dies in this house, I will cry. Yeah. 2023 will be a better year. I mean, don't say why are you saying that out loud? 
we're just here in England. The Queen's died. We had the cost of living crisis. Things can only get better. Hey, you're cursing yourself. Listen to you. It's, our, it's what the British <laughs> do. It's what we do. We just live in this wild, ridiculous optimism. <laughs> it rains every day and we're like, it will be a wonderful, it'll be a wonderful autumn rain. <laughs> what we do. Do you know what though? I, I do, I think you've got a really nice reason for inviting so many people to your evening. Um, and that's, that's what it's about. And I have to ask, I ask everyone this, it's the hardest question. I think it'll be harder for you actually. Is there anyone you wouldn't invite? <laughs> Because I, I like, well, I, apart serial from serial killers and, and people puppy. who kick puppies, yes, they're not invited. Um, you know what author I hate with zero guilt, and I will say it out loud and I will say it proud. I hate Ezra Pound from the depths of my soul. I hate Ezra Pound. <laughs> Ezra Pound can stay in hell and not come to my party. <laughs> Suck it, Ezra. You're not invited. <laughs> it's very rare. I don't think someone will ever say anything about any fellow. But also, suck it, Ezra Pound. It needs to be a bumper sticker somewhere. Thank you. I'm sure someone at Etsy can make that into like a pro pillow or <laughs> I'm something. I'm going to have you a bookmark made that says, <laughs> Suck it, Ezra stay Pound. In hell. I'm sorry I don't read Greek and can't read your poetry, you elitist oh. piece of crap. Well, Ezra is, is not <laughs> welcome. He is not welcome. Serial killers and puppy kickers. Because um, he falls into that same category. He um, does. In point of fact, he does. Yeah. Very, very fair. Very fair. Well, thank you for sharing. That's um, You're so welcome. We made my evening. Um, <laughs> um, before I let you go and enjoy the rest of your afternoon and I go and get my pajamas, are you reading anything at the moment? I'm always reading things. I'm always reading things. Right now, I am reading an advanced reader's copy of The Reunion by Kayla Olson. And that is Kayla's adult debut. So Kayla started off, I love this because Kayla started off in YA like me and is you know, it's making a turn to the dark yeah. side too. So that's very exciting. It's really good so far. If you like a good Hollywood rom-com, this one, it's very well done. I'm really enjoying it. And I'm also listening to The Change by Kirsten Miller, Ooh. which is, do you know about this book? No, tell me, tell me everything. Like this is feeding my middle-aged soul. So it's basically like the premise is these women, when they like hit menopause, like, Right. go through the change, the change. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but they're you. like but they're coming into their power they're like witchy power like that's oh, what the yeah. change is oh there's so much like female rage in this book and it's just feeding my heart in the best possible way so I'm very much enjoying that as well oh I love that because usually yeah. you know in witchy books or anything like that, it's it's usually puberty or turning 16 or it's usually something about youth that brings out this magic. I love that. And it's menopause. Yeah. That yes. was a lot about my mom as well. <laughs> Why well, just the pent up rage? I'm like, <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I'm excited to be reading a book that really centers middle-aged women. I mean, this feels like a, a period in our lives where we just get forgotten. You know, we're no longer young and beautiful. <laughs> and, and 
you just, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just, I'm really excited to read the story that kind of values that middle age experience. I love, I mean, I'm in my, my early thirties, but there was a time I think where I kind of saw anything over 40 as being this kind of terrifying time period, you know, because it wasn't portrayed in movies. And when it was, it was usually like a dowdy matronly kind of motherly figure. Right. And I love now, you know, I love that we're seeing women in their 40s, 50s, 60s with like hot younger husbands. I'm like, yes, I live, you know, Sam Taylor Johnson. Like, I'm like, that's my aspiration right there. You know, we're seeing women wearing, you know, once more times like you shouldn't wear this and you shouldn't wear that and you shouldn't have your hair like this. And I feel like there's now this lease of life of like, actually, we can do whatever we like because we've earned the right to do whatever we like. Yeah. And I think the pandemic has helped that a little bit. You know what I mean? This whole like, I'm who am I trying to impress? Like, I am wearing comfortable shoes. My hair is gray and I like it. I like it like this, you know? Yeah. Um, gray hair is so cool now as well. Like, uh, Hillary Burton, who was in One Tree Hill, she has like natural gray hair. And she's like, yeah. I, and that was pandemic. And she was like, I was bleaching my hair. I, and she's like, I fucking love being gray. Like, look at I this. I do. I'm digging it. I feel like these cool, like white streaky things going there. There are, there are women, you know, of my age, you know, going to hairdressers asking for silver gray hair. <laughs> I know on purpose. And I just, I am, I've got it naturally. There you so. go. There you go. Yeah, I love, I love that we are seeing that. And again, like we're also seeing TV shows, you know, like Big Little Lies, and we're seeing women around middle age as sexual beings, as more than just the mum or the, you know, or the dowdy. Yeah. Whatever. Oh, she's I, childless because she chose her career. So, and now and she's miserable as a result. And I can't tell you anything that I'm working on because publishing, but I tell you something I would love to write and see more of in in the book world is yeah. um middle-aged romance yes. people falling in love in their 40s and their 50s and you know like you don't have to be 20 or 30 to fall in love and, and what a different experience well. it is. i think there's some incredible actresses out there that just fall by the wayside that could play roles like that mm -hmm. and i love uh, emma thompson did the recent film where she plays the yes Oh my God, to see a woman, like. I've only seen the commercial. I haven't seen it yet, but I want to see that. She had the commercial, like. <laughs> yes. Take my money. Yes. Exactly. And the thing is, you know, the, the male producers of films can say, you know, no one wants to watch that. No one wants to. Yes, they do. Just put it out there. There's no one. That, I mean, you mean men. Men. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, I want to see this. Yeah, I love it. And that I'm going to check that book out because that sounds absolutely awesome. And thank you so much for coming and joining me. This has just been so much fun. This has been delightful. I've had so much fun chatting with you this afternoon slash evening. Thank you for having me <laughs> thank on. Thank you. Baby. And enjoy the rest of your afternoon. You too. Or your evening.